Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for Thursday, May 31st, 2018, otherwise known as National Rockler Plywood Challenge End Date Eve. (laughs) That's right, the contest ends tomorrow, but first, with me, as always, are Mike Montgomery. Hi, happy to be here. And Ben Ueda. What's up? How's it going, guys? So yeah, like we said, the last day to submit your entries is... I guess tomorrow. T- today. It's the 31st, today. the end of the month. Today tonight. is the end of the it's, month. It's midnight tonight. It is. And holy cow, we have gotten so many amazing entries. I'm completely blown away. I'm not just blowing smoke here. This is this challenge has been tenfold what I expected it to be. We topped a thousand posts on the hashtag. That is amazing. And we've got, from what I understand, over 50 YouTube videos that have been submitted and we're currently yep. building the playlist with Mike Clifford from Industrial Maker. Um, so let's just hop into a couple features. Like who whose project has st- stood out the most to you guys this week? Um, let's see. So I, I'll go first. One of the new ones that I've been watching a lot of the videos now. Yeah. Because there's so many videos. I'm like, I got to really get through these. So I've been pumping through them. Um, and one that really stood out to me was Jay Makes, his Instagram handle is jmakes underscore yt and it's just the letter jmakes yep. and he built basically a, a cabinet it, you know it's it's a very simple looking cabinet but when you see the way that he did it like featuring the plywood layers kind of on the front he did this thing where he kind of like resawed pieces of plywood and so it has this sort of like wavy almost like from far away like kind of a bambooish looking texture totally. on the fronts of the doors and then he used like some little leather pieces for the handle. So it's just like a really nice, clean looking, simple piece. Like just good looking. I mean, it's hard <laughs> to say anyway. Other than that, it just looks high quality and good. Um, but the video that he made is so good. Like he's such a good video maker. I, I really want to see him continue to make videos and to do more bigger things. Because he's like an awesome editor. You can tell he spent a ton of time in all the edits that he did and just like the way he transitioned between scenes. So it was really impressive. So I'm excited to see that go, video. Uh, I got to, yeah, go check it I out. I got the chance to meet him at maker central and we got to chat for a few minutes. He's a really good guy. Nice. Really nice guy. Um, Oh, and I should go ahead and say you can find these posts by searching hashtag rockler plywood challenge on Instagram or the ones we're talking about specifically will be posted on our Instagram. We're going to do a wrap up and that is at modern maker podcast. So then go, go find that post and follow everyone we're talking about. Yeah, and there'll be links in the description, too, on your podcast app. Absolutely. Ben? Mine is uh, pretty epic. It's by PC underscore makes. <laughs> yeah, this is a crazy one, man. Instagram. He made a stand-up paddle board out of a single sheet of plywood with a little bit of walnut scraps. Um, it is an incredible piece. Even if it was just like a sculptural kind of wall art thing, that would be impressive. Um but it, it's the big he, eggplant. He's also shown <laughs> it in the swimming pool. So <laughs> it apparently floats. I, I haven't seen, you know, a person on it, what it's sort of filled with. If it's filled with foam or, uh, or whatever, or, or I haven't seen it next to a person for scale. So it, it's hard to get a sense of how big it is, but it is an incredible piece. And it's, you know, it's one of those projects where I was like, Oh, that was something I wanted to do. But, uh, I think it just, uh, for me, inspired me to, to get moving on my own sort of paddleboard project that I've had sort of uh, in my sketchbook for a few years now. But it's just, uh, what I really like about it is that when you think of what can you make out of a sheet of plywood, it's, you know, 
you think, oh, you could do a lot of cool things with end grain, or you could make like really functional pieces of furniture. This is kind of all of those things plus something that you would never really expect. So he kind of yeah. cut the end grain into veneers and then wove it around these CNC'd frames. And it is, it's just a really, really cool project. A hundred percent. You know, for our next challenge, remember how like in high school you'd see classes where they'd go out to the pool and they would all have to build something to like float, build some mm. kind of boat or something. Uh-huh. That's that's the next the challenge. The boat challenge. Yeah. Yeah, who can build the best boat out of one sheet of plywood? <laughs> one sheet boat challenge. Not only is it a plywood <laughs> challenge, but a, cha- a boat too. Hey, we got to make it harder, man. We got too many entries this <laughs> no, time. No, the, the boat will be a welding project. It'll be a good way to test the quality of the welds. Does Everyone's it hold just, water? Yeah. It weighs like 500 pounds, just <laughs> sink. The only problem is I don't know if my welds would hold water, but all right, let's do it. <laughs> Flex seal, baby. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Get that screen door going. Awesome. Well, this week I want to highlight an incredible build. It is just absolutely beautiful from at Oso DIY. That is O-S-O D-I-Y. All letters. He built the, man, this is just the prettiest dining table. Aside from being built out of plywood, just the, just the silhouette and the form of this table is beautiful, but he did a really incredible herringbone pattern that spills over the edge and then another really awesome pattern showing the plywood layers going up the legs. Um, it was just an amazing example of a really, I think, well, Ben, you were talking about how certain projects kind of perform on different levels in terms of like what they're kind of appealing to, um, whether it's like the the cool like off factor or just the quality of the build or kind of coming out of left field. This one is, I think, as well-crafted and just uh, well-designed and well just like executed so cleanly. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that it is my choice for the winner. I am not foreshadowing whatsoever. Um, I'm not saying it isn't either. But what I am saying is this week, Oso DIY crushed it. Yeah, there's there's a couple other ones I want to mention too. And one is by Olari.s on Instagram. He made a... (laughs) He made a suitcase yes. on wheels. Yes. Oh, yeah. That was crazy. Uh, un- unbelievable. Uh, and we'll, we'll recap these on our Instagram account, the Modern Maker Podcast on Instagram. Another one, which is more sort of like a straightforward one, but I think was really well executed, is by Jules Korb on Instagram. And he just did a really nice, simple, really clean looking bent lamination chair. Oh, okay. oh, but I have to bring up. Oh, I'm sorry. Keep going, Ben. You were still talking. No, th- those are the, those okay, a couple cool. other additional points that i want to bring up and you can't forget about this giant egg chair with leds (laughs) and everything else under the sun i don't know what kind of upholstery this is but it's from at uh grifo train that's a hard one to say griffin yeah griffin is that (laughs) how you spell griffin it's a spell oh great i don't think it's these awesome um, Mythical but (laughs) this thing was so off the wall this is definitely one of those left field projects but it looks so cool yeah, it's pretty crazy. They put a baby in it, too, in some of the recent photos. Absolutely. Extra points. Awesome. Chris, do you have any more you want to talk about? I was just going to say, I almost feel like I get, a too little, many. Yeah. I get a little anxious like looking at it. It's like, how are we going to choose? Yeah. And it seems like they kind of like fall into camps sometimes. Like the one that you highlighted, Oso DIY, is in that camp of like, I'm really going to highlight the, the plies. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's other ones that you're like, oh, man, I would never think to build that out of a piece of plywood. Yeah, right. 
there's there's feats of efficiency, right? Where they are able to build something remarkably functional and big out of one sheet and utilize the full sheet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then there's ones that use it kind of uh, the end grain as a texture, and mm-hmm. they actually recreate their own materials, almost like the way like you know uh, Ben from Wobi Designs would, where they're they're actually using the end grain as their sort of raw material, reconfigurating by cutting up into pieces, making herring bones, making woven patterns, making mm-hmm. all these really cool sort of textural visual effects. And then there's people that are sort of combining those things uh, uh, together. So there's, yeah, it's, it's judging is going to be really, really tough because yeah. yeah. they're, they're just so different and they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many... It's not that there's yeah. just three a few winners, standouts. Yes. It's that there are so many that are could easily win. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, if you asked 50 different people, I think you'd get 20 different winners I think so. for the best project. Yeah, and So yeah, it's it's going to be tricky to for three people to encapsulate everything that went into this project. We're going to do our best to figure it out. I'm sure we'll have some disagreements, but we'll we'll figure it out in the end, but No um, fist fights. Yeah, it's well, you know, elbows are legal. Okay, great. <laughs> But thank you guys from the bottom of our hearts. Like this is awesome and has definitely made us more excited for even more of this kind of community building challenges or competitions or whatever it is. Um, just the fact that we're getting so much participation and that you guys are as excited as we are about it. It's absolutely amazing. So look out next week. Instead of a normal podcast, we'll be releasing the wrap-up episode, which will also be a YouTube video. We are going to be all three getting together, talking about them in person probably doing a little bit of arguing about which one should win. Um, we're going to keep it really raw. We don't want to prep too much for it. We want to come in, give honest uh, kind of, not feedback, but our honest kind of reactions to the projects and feed off of each other without too much kind of scripted mm-hmm. stuff going on. I think it'll be a really fun show. It'll definitely be unexpected and new, but I, I, I'm really excited and I couldn't be more appreciative of everybody that supported and participated. Yeah. yeah, and the other thing that we're thinking of now is the the content's so great is we're we're sort of rushing to figure out a way to compile it all and create not just you know playlists and you know reposts and sort of Instagram likes, but really compile this uh, all this content into you know uh, a single place where because what you've basically done is we've created a textbook <laughs> of a lot of things you can do with one sheet apply right with, right yeah, like, that's true. And it's exhaustive, and it's covering so many different skill levels, different uh, different people with different tools. We have a ton of CNC projects. We have a ton of regular uh, uh, sort of conventional tool projects. We have different techniques from bent lamination, kerf cutting, cutting them up to little bits and reassembling. Yeah. So there, there's really like a you know this could this whole this single challenge could end up in a coffee table book of like about plywood, right? Um, and it's funny, there was recently a, uh, I think it was a design or art museum in London did an exhibition on the history of plywood and all the things that sort of, uh, that it sort of enabled. And of course, they featured the famous uh, Ames uh, leg brace, which they created, yeah. I think, during one of the world wars to mm-hmm. sort of, uh, when a, if a soldier broke their leg, it was, they made this sort of really beautiful plywood uh, splint that they would use to sort of stabilize it to all these sort of boats and other things that were that this sort of innovation and material uh, uh, helped uh, generate. So, uh, you know, my, my staircase made it into that. And I think, you know, these projects 
are are an example of of how versatile the material is and how it's it's such a, a wealth of opportunity for all sorts of making projects. Yeah, and it also for I sure. feel like just goes to show that I know kind of plywood showing off all of the layers for like desktops and tabletops really kind of hit a peak a couple of years ago. And I think I, we kind of saw that slow down a little bit. Um, and I think a lot of people maybe thought that like all the good ideas were taken, but I think this was proof to show that like, if you get a group of really good, smart design oriented people like our audience and like give them, I thought you were going to say, Oh us. no, not you. Like, Mike, cool. Yours was no. terrible. No. Um, You're full of us. But if you can get like a collective mind, like what what we have with kind of the audience and community that we have, like we can make some mm-hmm. incredible stuff if we all kind of like push each other. So, so it's a good segue to our topic for today. Exactly. What do you do when you have so much good content in the feed? And you're trying to see it all. How is it sorted and all those things, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So what we're going to talk about today is uh, the broad concept of this topic is what to do when sort of life throws a curveball at mm-hmm. you, uh, mm-hmm. both in how to think about it, how to break down and, and analyze it, and then also what sort of actions to take. Yeah. And the, the, the sort of impetus for this topic came from something I saw on Twitter. So... I don't check Twitter that often, and I saw a tweet from uh, David Picciuto where he was responding to something that uh, at Team YouTube tweeted. So it's a YouTube sort of community account. And their tweet was in a response to some YouTuber. And, and here's what he says. This you know random dude says, named Jonathan, says, why aren't my videos in my subscription feed in chronological order anymore? So he's subscribes to a lot of content creators and he was wondering why the videos when he logs into his sort of youtube homepage, the videos from the people he subscribes to weren't in chronological order mm-hmm. so youtube responded and said just to clarify we are currently experimenting with how to show content in the subs feed we find that some viewers are able to more easily find videos they want to watch when we order the subs feeds in a personalized order as opposed to always showing the most recent video first. So what that means is they're experimenting with the same things that Facebook and Instagram have already implemented. Right. Pinterest as well, which is an algorithmically based feed based on their understanding of the user's preferences and likes and behavior versus a chronological feed, which would strictly be determined by the people you follow and the times at which they post content. So, mm-hmm. of course, when YouTube announces any sort of change, the there's an immediate backlash that's almost always... Let's freak out first. <laughs> right. So, and, and myself included. So, my initial reaction was, and I even tweeted, because they, they started to tweet with, just to clarify, and I tweeted, just to clarify, that sucks. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> and I was sort of responding because I saw sort of, you know, David Picciuto sort of saying, no, 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 just let people do it. And philosophically... I absolutely agree that like just let people manage their own feeds. I think that's a better thing. But I also understand from their perspective is they're designing it to maximize users on the platform. So they're only doing that because they think it's going to result in more people watching more content for longer periods of time. Right. Right. They have no other agenda than that. That's what they're going to do. And they're better at that than we are and their opinions on that topic are way more knowledgeable Mm -hmm. um so i think that's the part that you know is creates a sort of helpless feeling when you sort of assume that it's a bad thing 
Right. So me and Mike talked about it. And Mike, what was your sort of reaction? Uh, gut reaction initially is why does a subscription feed need to be algorithmic based when your home feed, your suggested videos, when you watch other videos, your trending mm-hmm. feed, everything is already algorithmic. The one place in YouTube where you're actually able to curate the things you want to watch and only see the things you want to watch is your subscription feed. So mm-hmm. when YouTube comes out with this algorithmic-based system, it's it, from my perspective, as a user, it's I look at it and I say, well, great, that's helping the people that are already not using the platform right. If people have a subscri- subscription feed that's either full of videos that they don't want to watch or just too full that they can't watch it or keep up with it, you're using the platform wrong. You either need to unsubscribe to the channels that you don't like or unsubscribe to the channels that are posting too often if if you don't like them doing that. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, what it seems like is YouTube <laughs> is catering to the people that aren't actually investing in the platform. Instead, they're making it for convenient for the people that are kind of, I don't know what the right word would be, almost kind of just being lazy about watching lazy and messy. in a way. Right. So I, 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 I like your reaction because I think it actually speaks to your general philosophy on life, which is one towards it emphasizes sort of personal responsibility and don't put training wheels on my stuff. Right. Like, let's just encourage users to have better behavior, mm-hmm. which philosophically I absolutely agree with. But when it comes to actually managing and dealing with large amounts of people, uh, my life experience tells me totally unrealistic to expect people to be disciplined managed right and the thing that immediately struck me was how much people react to instagram pinterest and youtube doing this but people seem to love spotify for their this exact same thing right when it comes to music i love that i can put in a single song if i hear a song that's like reminds me of like the 90s when i was in high school i can say oh yeah i totally forgot about that can put that into some sort of thing where there's apple music or spotify or uh, you know whichever streaming service, and that it builds a whole playlist from that. Yeah. For music, I adore that. I think that's incredible functionality. Mike, I know you love actually building very meticulously curated uh, uh, playlists and stuff like that from scratch. Right. But I thought that was a funny initial thing was how how people react differently to those things. Yeah. But my so my initial reaction was was similar to yours. I rejected the idea sort of philosophically and then practically I thought oh this is changing things for me that's not good my subscribers love this stuff and then I was thinking about it more and more wait really quick before you do the deep dive from a content creator perspective Chris yeah do you have any like initial thoughts right off the bat any huge so these will be my initial thoughts because this is I'm just hearing about this right now so my initial thought is I'd say mostly positive I mean the only part where it gets negative is like if there's some finagling that's going on, but I'll just assume that that's not happening, happening, that it's just basing it off of people's viewing habits and what they might like. And it's putting to the top things that it thinks they'll watch. They just want to make sure that all the Kevin Hart videos make it to like super success. Those are my trying. They're just tipping, they're tipping the scales to the people that are coming in and taking over YouTube rather than the people that built it. So here's how I would think about it. That's conspiracy theory over here. This will be very (laughs) simplified, but let's just pretend that I have, you know, 100 units of work at my disposal, right? And I can put 90 
units of work into making the best project that I can, and then 10% units of work into thinking about when's the best time to post this for the people that are subscribed to me so that it'll be the first thing in their feed when they see it. I don't want to do that. Like I want to put all 100 units into making the best thing that I know how to make. And so if there's an algorithm that works where the people that want to watch my stuff are going to see it because it's working, I like that. Yeah, you know, yeah I agree. I, I like to take that part out of my hands. Personally speaking, just like thinking about the things that I watch, like, okay, for instance, a channel that I really love on YouTube is called Regular Car Reviews. I never don't see one of those episodes. And if time goes by and I didn't see one, I'll actually go check for it because that's like something that I'm super into. Right. And I think that anybody who's like really into your stuff and really digs your stuff, they're going to see your stuff. Yeah. It behooves YouTube for them to see it. I, I think the one I think, so my initial reaction was negative. I thought about it for a half an hour and then I completely did a 180 after sort of further review. Um and my thinking was more about the specificity of the type of content that we produce. And so this is where my selfish interest uh, superseded my philosophical general th- uh, interest. So mm-hmm. none of us produce daily content. We're all in the more sort of one a week or once every two weeks category. Yep. Uh, there's people who I subscribe to like Primitive Technology, who is way less frequent than that. I like that. In a chronological feed, if you subscribe to over, like, let's say 300 channels, which I think is not an unreasonable amount. It's a lot, but, or, or let's say you subscribe. That feels to like, like that's unreasonable. I don't know. You really? need to clear your in, your subscription box. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking of more know from like, okay, so let's say you subscribe to, to 50. Here, here, let's do okay. this. Pull up your YouTube. Let's see how many people each of us subscribe to. This is some good, this is good data right here. Here we go. Yeah. But let's, let's just say, imagine you do 50 while you guys are looking at it. Uh-huh. Okay. And let's say some one of those is like a BuzzFeed or like, you know, like a, like a some sort of media company that produces two videos a day. You subscribe to a couple of vloggers that that post daily content. Uh So the people that do daily uh content, I think this is going to hurt them relative to the people that produce more sporadic content. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. Like I never want to miss a video from Primitive Technology. But if I log in on any given day and he posted three weeks ago mm-hmm. and it's only chronological and I follow like a BuzzFeed or some sort of news or Philip DeFranco or something like that that's posting daily, my whole feed is going to be – he's going to be buried way at the bottom because he posted right. three weeks he's ago. He's going to be under a so, pile of Philly D. Right. So <laughs> it, so let's say the <laughs> – that's gross. Uh, so let's say the uh, you know the, the algorithm sort of said – Oh, you commented or were engaged with 90% of the videos that you watch from this content producer, which would be my mm-hmm. sort of case with primitive technologies. And so it said, we want to make sure we know that you really like his stuff. You watch all of his stuff. Whereas this daily uh, BuzzFeed site, you kind of only watch like maybe one out of 20 of their videos. I would imagine they would design something like this to kind of make sure you don't miss those really like... Yeah. bigger more sporadic episodes yeah. that you actually care about and rather than just sort of piddling time with whatever sort of at the top of your feed so yeah that was I a think- big kind of takeaway whenever we were talking about it is it's like it seems like it is a big the biggest hit for the people doing uh kind of vlogs and the daily content but oh and i should say i've got about 250 subscriptions turns out you weren't so, so far see? off yeah i have 70 how many chris seven just 70 yeah wow Wow. Or it might be like 73 or something, but so, it's in the 70s. But, but what I was, um, so it seems like 
you know, most of the people that will be affected are the people that are going to be posting more. But those same people that are doing the daily posts and the ones that are kind of like doing the vlog type stuff, they're also the ones that are kind of like, quote unquote, like hacking the system and already kind of over posting, like whenever it moved to watch time, making videos longer for no real reason. So I think my perspective on it is like the people that are trying to hack the system rather than just put out the best content that they can when it's ready and kind of just deliver the best thing that they can rather kind of quality over quantity is the Mm -hmm. same people that are hacking the system now are going to find another way to hack the system. And I worry that long term, whatever it is that's pushing videos up in the subscription feed when it is algorithmic, people are going to figure that out. And then our shit is just going to get super buried. See, I don't think so. Uh, See, I think this actually creates a way, like our videos have a really high like to dislike ratio. Mm -hmm. Um, And from what I understand of general YouTube have pretty good uh, view duration and Mm -hmm. things, which is why uh, we get a lot of branded sponsor opportunities that channels with much more subscribers and much more views often don't get. and I recently was at a YouTube sort of uh, uh, event and sort of talking to these people that are sort of daily vloggers and stuff like that to do huge numbers, way more subscribers, but they still aren't really getting that many brand deals mm-hmm. and ones that aren't as lucrative as the as the ones we're fortunate enough to lock down. So, but what I think it is, is, you know, if our, I, I like anything that emphasize uh, originality and quality and investment into the content over massive publishing right yeah i don't want to do i don't want to be buzzfeed and produce three videos a day that are all just these hands moving fast and and doing that stuff i want to kind of do the things that i want to do i want to be able to do big projects and small projects and bigger bigger projects and, and keep varying it up relative to that so yeah to me uh and the other thing too when i when i looked back at it uh when so Pinterest and Instagram were the two platforms I was invested in, and then they changed. And now I can look back a few years and see, did it make me uh, enjoy them less? With Pinterest, it was a radical improvement from my from me as a viewer in Pinterest. Right. It, it reduced my ability to make money off my Pinterest account because I couldn't just build up a ton of subscribers and then spam them a bunch of affiliate links, uh, which is what people were doing, which is why they sort of changed... Uh, uh, to an algorithmic feed. Um, with Instagram, I think what it did is it it made me unafraid to follow more people. Um, yeah. And I didn't feel like such a completionist. So if you're an Instagram person that cares about getting uh, followers, you know, you might not be able to reach them as much, but it also probably caused a lot more people to follow you because they're not feeling like there's a limited a number of follows that they're able to do before their feed is just too unfunctional. Right. Um, so you know, I think the whole the whole point is is how you know people always say, "Oh, trust your gut, yes and no <laughs> uh, you know, listen to it and definitely explore those feelings and why you have those reactions, but uh you know reserve judgment until you have all the information, and we still don't know, and you know all YouTube said is that they're experimenting with this right. um, and you know just uh. Uh, think about how it more specifically does, because often our initial reactions are missing a few critical points. No, I was going to say, I know this is a very small sample size, but do you guys browse your subscription feed that often? That's really the only place. Like, I usually don't watch videos from the homepage. 
Very. Well, I mostly watch from the home. Do you page. really? Yeah, I'm a, yeah. like I'm the same way Ben was talking about being like a completionist with Instagram is like I'm a completionist. You want to see like, it I don't all. I want to see every everything video. that got posted. I skip plenty of videos. Right. But I like to know you, that you I see saw what was everything from all the people that I like their videos. I don't mm-hmm. like I don't like the idea of being like, "Huh, I wonder if this person posted stuff that I missed." You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um because speaking of, I mean, that happen that does happen with Instagram, you know. I've definitely had posts that are what you would call kind of kind of filler posts for Instagram. You know that they're not bangers, but it's still kind of good enough content, right? But those kind of posts have like a 12-hour shelf life or a 8-hour shelf life and then Instagram decides like this post is not that great. I'll show it to people if they're really digging down and really scrolling, but most likely they're just kind of le- going to let that post kind of like trail off. That's fine with Instagram. Mm-hmm. I totally understand. Um, there's a lot of content and a lot of people posting multiple times a day. The problem with YouTube, though, is I'd hate for videos to get lost in the shuffle the same way. Yeah, I think that, I mean, again, it's so hard to say, yeah. and those people are a lot smarter than I am, but I do feel like it actually is, if it does help anybody, I feel like it will help people like us mm-hmm. more than the people who are doing the daily content at this point, because right now we we get a fairly level playing field in the home tab because if somebody watches your stuff it's going to show up exactly now if somebody watches your stuff somebody like me you know my stuff probably was getting buried in the subscription tab maybe now it doesn't get as buried so it's just like another place that those people will find me or somebody who's posting with less frequency now i want to play devil's advocate for just one second and this is kind of really my last thought is we keep assuming that this is good for people that are posting less frequently but let's Uh also think of this BuzzFeed, uh, WatchCut, all these kind of channels that are posting, you know, very frequently with very unoffensive content is Mm -hmm. that's very safe content for YouTube to promote on a very consistent level. Not to say that we're not also posting very kind of like family friendly, age appropriate content, but we're not doing it at the same scale. And so looking at it from kind of the perspective of YouTube just being the rational entity that it is. It says mm-hmm. BuzzFeed is good. BuzzFeed doesn't cause adpocalypse. Let's promote every BuzzFeed video that's ever made. Let's promote every X, Y, or Z video, you know, whether it's like. Yeah, but they like you. I've heard you talk about this too. You're sort of potentially contradicting something that you've previously said, right? YouTube's also very rational and they want to encourage more watch time. Right. So. Mm-hmm. They would only do that in the sense that it's encouraging more people to do it. So if people love your videos and, you know, watch your videos all the way through and are engaged and like and comment and, and, and like your videos more than those BuzzFeed videos, mm-hmm. which I would say is likely considered your stuff, your stuff is coming from a more organic and authentic place as opposed to sort of a mass produced place. Um, I would say that there's those other metrics to sort of judge that and they're... They're rational. They're going to keep pushing towards things that result in the most watch time and the most sort of uh, uh, positive vibes. Right. So I've got to counter that so, again, though. No, well, hang on, because that's kind of what I was going to say to you here. Let me okay. just make the okay, last okay. point that I was sorry, Mike. No, I was going to say that I think that the algorithm or like the, the learning is easier for machines to do when you're just looking at numbers as just like minutes watched, minutes watched, a minute is a minute. Yeah. But I think that as these things get more sophisticated in, you know, two years from now and five years from now, it'll be easier for them to quantify quality 
instead of just quantity. So a minute isn't just a minute. They'll be able to quantify things like people really like this creator Mm -hmm. and people are a little bit more lukewarm on this creator. We're probably not quite there yet, but I think that there will become a time when that will be the case. Right. So I'm only going to compare this with the BuzzFeed videos that are like, uh, so I searched it like $1 donut versus $100 donut. Sign me up. $3 fries versus $100 fries. All right. So the first one I said, 17 million views. The second one, Eight Uh and a half million views. So Uh my argument to whether or not YouTube is willing to push these videos is they're already doing it. Like if you watch one Mm -hmm. of these type of videos, whether it's like, you know, uh, bartender test top shelf liquor versus cheap liquor or like videos Mm -hmm. like this. As soon as you watch one of them, you get suggested that kind of content like crazy. And I think it's for the same reasons I was talking about. Not to argue that our content is not, if not more valuable or just as valuable, but this is like guaranteed yeah, but the, safe the, the thing views. that's not a fair comparison there do what is that BuzzFeed's doing a lot more to promote their YouTube content off of YouTube than we are to promote our content. No, I understand that. But what I'm trying to say is YouTube is not um, just like passively uh, letting these views or videos get a lot of views. They're at, they're, I think they're also actively promoting them and actively suggesting them. And they're right. doing it at a pace that, you know, individuals can't keep up with. And so but I, I'm just kind of trying would, to, you know, put I would weights counter, on both sides. Look at the really terrible HGTV YouTube channel. Right. They produce two or but, three videos a day. And mm-hmm. they are diggity, diggity dog shit. Yeah, like, but they they're not BuzzFeed. <laughs> so you can't compare YouTube and, and well, BuzzFeed because you've got a yes, TV you can, company he, he, trying well, you to can compete define on YouTube. The whereas BuzzFeed is an internet company that knows exactly. how to play the game. So you're going to get these people or you're going to get these entities that understand how to like work an algorithm the best way. YouTube changes right. it. They're going to figure out what makes it perform better and they're going to replicate it times 100. I also think they're earning a lot of those views from their website. I think so too, but traffic so, is traffic. And, and in which case, like it would be crazy for YouTube not to reward people for bringing people to a platform that they're embedded. I exactly. Mean, You're strengthening of, my argument here, man. No, but I'm saying like it doesn't work for just dumping a lot of videos doesn't work. Right. And that's what I'm arguing is that you have you have people. You have to you be have, smart. You have the HG, HGTVs of the world that literally are just taking steaming dumps onto their YouTube account. But then <laughs> you volume. have people like BuzzFeed that, yes, they <sighs> produce plenty of steamy dumps. But they've also got some series that really do perform really, really well. And I think they're kind of narrowing that gap on like what performs great, what audience wants to see, and then figuring out how to scale that at like a crazy rate. So Mike, then do you think that because BuzzFeed has these series that are performing really great, that then YouTube is pushing series that are series that are not performing great? Uh, No, probably not. So then I think that's fair. I mean, it makes like, you know, regardless of what the video type is, you know, if one person is against donuts and dollar donut versus hundred dollar <laughs> donut but a person watched it and watched it all the way through like it's it working. makes total yeah. no, sense I agree. that they will show no, them that fry i agree one. so suggested on the homepage, suggested in the related searches but my okay. my only like the the doomsday conspiracy that you want that subscription to be a safe right harbor. that i don't like i don't even believe this really conspiracy but i want to put it on both like i want to make sure that both sides are kind of represented in our conversation is that mm-hmm. someone could this is 
generic user one. He really enjoys Four Eyes videos and woodworking, but mm-hmm. you throw a $3 versus $100 fry video at him, it's also very mm-hmm. compelling. He likes both of them equally. Yeah. Those are right? Both Imagine he likes them both the exact amount the same. Yep. Which do you think he's going to get like suggested to an insane amount? The person that posts well, here- once every week or so, or the person that posts a video in that kind of category every day? Let me... So this is a, a terrible test that I did. Very small sample size of yeah. one. But I sometimes what I'll do is, because <laughs> I have, so I have my Four Eyes channel, mm-hmm. right? And then I have my own personal YouTube account. And that's where I actually do all of my watching, right? And I subscribe to myself and I love myself. I'm my favorite creator. <laughs> I'll watch my videos, make sure everything's good with them. So the other day, I purposefully didn't click on a video and I want to see how long does it stay up at the top of my suggested feed while there's plenty of other creators that I'm subscribed to that have videos that are way more popular than me, Casey Neistat, all that stuff, right? My video stayed at the top of my feed for like five days. Nice. Like plenty of time where like I would see it if I, if I like this person, I saw this video or I I had plenty of opportunities to click it. I do the same thing and I'm always at the top of my own feed because I've number one baby because I've liked probably more of my videos than any other, (laughs) other, other things with my main sort of business uh, Gmail account. So Um, I do the same thing, but I got to admit, I do troll myself in the comments. Everybody's favorite channel. If you are a user's favorite channel, this algorithm change is amazing for you. If you're kind of like in the middle, I don't know. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. Only time will tell. So the thing I would say for that would be, uh, I, I, if, if if that was the sort of simplified case, I would be great with it. I would rather be rewarded for uh, creating a strong connection, uh, which is something I could definitely work on. I need to be a little more on camera and a little more friendly and less prickly. Um, <laughs> But I think that would be, you know, a, a good thing. I don't know that that's exactly the case. But the, the last thing I'll sort of sum up relative to the sort of BuzzFeed comparison is, is I don't think BuzzFeed has an advantage. I actually think they're at a disadvantage because I don't think of YouTube as just this platform where you dump videos and do that. I think about it as a as a platform where there's, in addition to sort of scaling production, which BuzzFeed can produce way more their costs scale with that production. Right. So it's not really going up. So I think of it more as each video is a widget. And what we're good at is producing a good amount of widgets, weekly widgets, at a really low cost. BuzzFeed's cost per video is higher. Mm-hmm. BuzzFeed hires people like our like our buddy Ray, who's a very talented YouTuber with over 150,000 subscribers on his own. Those are the kind of people BuzzFeed hires shout out to ray yeah. um so but to hire someone and then have meetings with them and then to connect to that that increases their price per video relative to to us who can just run and gun and produce stuff really efficiently mm-hmm. so when you think of it that way you're not just competing in terms of oh they have all these videos they have doing all these views they're getting all this attention that means they're winning if their cost per video is way higher than ours not necessarily and it also means it's not sustainable. So th- that means whatever their performance is with th- what have ha- with how they're able to leverage their size, they're at a disadvantage with that size in terms of the cost per unit of video. Yeah, I can see wh- I can see that argument. Well, but I, th- I think overall, I think the point is, uh, <laughs> I always say like 
overreact to the positive and then like underreact to the perceived negative, yeah. right? Uh, and also, don't see these... worry about the things that are completely out of your control. You can only make the best content That's you can do takeaway, and man. like put it into exactly. the places where people can see it. Um, ultimately, it. like if YouTube ends up being terrible for creators, creators will go somewhere else and uh, right. a- and do that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'll beat that drum nonstop. Is that ninety nine percent of your focus needs to just be on being the best that you can exactly. be, making the best thing that you can be. And if you do that, that's what gives you, regardless of what the algorithm is or what you know about it and what you don't know yep. about it, that gives you the best chance at success. Yeah. And to think that like, you know, the algorithm is going to stop you from being successful if you're making just as good content, I think is like short-sighted and silly too. If you're making the, mm-hmm. if you're making content that deserves to be watched at a, at a high level, it will over time. You know, yep. some people have videos pop off on their first upload like Chris. Some people grow a little bit more linear. But regardless, if you're making good content, it will get found and it'll get shared around and, and people will see it. So what are you guys been obsessed with other than debating YouTube's various changes? I've got another uh, video game pick. It's been a while since a video game. Now, this is a video game I've not played. I've only seen some like YouTube clips of it. And it looks awesome. So you guys know I used to like rock band and guitar hero all those kind of games there's this one it's a so it'd be a, a virtual reality one it's called beat saber mm. so it's like you're a jedi training academy person right? <laughs> and you got your two lights you gotta i'm just imagining like a shake weight with a lightsaber <laughs> it's not that far off no so you basically have your controller and you would have in your hands a red and a blue lightsaber yeah that's not helping then, the image i'm picturing they're, it they're all come they're all coming at you, just like in Rock Band. And it's so it'll either be it'll be an arrow that's either blue or red and pointing in different directions. And so you're like, so you're beating them off. Of you. Yeah, you're. It's like things are shooting at you, and you're like knocking them all back with your lightsabers. I don't even like Star Wars, and I'm like, oh man, this looks. Honestly, awesome. it sounds fun. It also is easy to make fun of. Um, what's it called again? Yeah. Beat Saber. <laughs> all right. Yeah, go check out a video on Beat Saber, dude. I'm, oh, I'm definitely gonna check meat. it out. Beat. Oh, beat. I thought you said meat saber. <laughs> no, that would be worse. All right. So this beat week, my saber. obsession is something simple. It's something very small and affordable. And please don't make any jokes based on what I said right there. It is... A meat saber. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and actually throw an affiliate link in the description of the podcast. Uh-oh. Um, but it is a Booyah. Pika ink pen. Have you guys seen these? They are... Yeah. Uh, black and orange, but it's just this really long nose felt tip marker. Imagine mm. a Sharpie pen, but yeah. the last two inches of it kind of towards the uh, towards the writing end is just like a uh-huh. super, super thin, just like little nose. Tip. Yeah, it's just like a super okay. fine tip, but it's like two inches long. So if you're scribing, uh, mm. so if you need to like scribe lines from one thing yeah. to another... Or anything, or even just using them with a ruler is really nice because it's just a really clean, fine tip that writes really great on wood and metal and plastic and pretty much everything I've tried it on. Um, they're not super cheap; they're somewhere around fifteen bucks, um, but totally worth it. They come in pens and pencils. Tried them both out; they're amazing. Thank you to Jesse Ueda for gifting it to me, and uh, I appreciate it. Very nice. So I got a, I got a couple. Um, but they're in a category, and it's related to dust collection. So I've been working a lot with tropical hardwoods where the dust is a little bit more toxic than domestic species. So I've been paying more attention to uh, both you know, 
personal protection and RZ masks, which uh, Mike introduced me to, are phenomenal. I, I've always hated sort of traditional disposable dust masks. They mm-hmm. they always cause my safety glasses to fog up. Right. <laughs> the oh, yeah. seal around the um, nose. Yeah, you're like blowing right. steam into your glasses. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's the lack of visibility. I'm like, well, that's not any safer. <laughs> um, and then the other thing, so those are awesome. Definitely check this out. They're affordable. They're more comfortable. And for me, they don't fog up the same way uh, uh, disposable ones did. So huge, just one of those few things where it's like, huh, 25, 30 bucks, and it makes day-to-day working way better. Yeah. The the other one is Ryobi's come out with a whole bunch of new vacuum devices that work with the same battery platform. And so their new shop vac I had mentioned before is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I throw in one of the extra life batteries into it and it's actually, I feel uh, more powerful than my other sh- plug-in shop vacs and super lightweight. You can move it all around. But they created this new one that plugs into the orbital sanders right it's like the size of a briefcase yeah it's like yeah it looks like a toolbox and again it's battery powered super lightweight and i plugged that into uh my orbital sander and i was standing inside because it was like you know 90 degrees outside and the the light was so bright it was like washing out the the shot um sanded completely inside didn't have to put up tarps or anything no dust uh just lightweight easy to move around uses the same battery system so uh, i've never appreciated <laughs> i've always just thought like dust collection in the shop is not going to be really something i do just because i work with handheld tools and i'm outside a lot mm-hmm. um but these kind of devices are are making it sort of affordable and doable the last thing i would say is me and mike were talking about how <laughs> we were listening to uh making it and jimmy deresta was going off on sort of how silly a lot of the tool companies' work lights are, right. like how unfunctional yeah, they yeah. are. And certainly there are certain work lights that look like they'd only work for like a tugboat captain. They actually look like a buoy or something. Let's stuff. be real. <laughs> we walked we walk through the light yeah. section of Home Depot and it was pretty freaking funny. So it was funny. That was, in, that was like a conversation we were having in the background. We we're like, yeah, Jimmy's got a good point. These are kind of ridiculous. And, you know, the simple sort of hook light is is pretty functional. But then... We got these LED ones uh, from Ryobi that you can adjust the color temperature on. Yeah, uh, from twenty seven hundred Kelvin to five thousand. Right. So now it's a work light that's good enough that you can actually do your photos or use for video, too. Yeah. Uh, so it has like a little dial where you can change the color temperature. Um, you can. So now for like shooting outside in the evening or at night uh, is like totally doable. And we're actually using them for some of our still photography as well because they're just easier to move around. And we're comparing them versus the very expensive. So when we moved to uh, this house, I invested probably over $1,000 into lights from B&H. And these lights are way, way cheaper. And we're still getting the same sort of... We actually have the same sort of precision on the light control. And it also is as rugged as a work light. Whereas the photography lights are if you think work lights are unfunctional like the stands and tripods for photography lights just eat up all the space and are they got like the whitest sandbags everywhere yeah they're terrible yeah that's Um, what i like about them a lot not to you know blow too much smoke or anything here but the idea of having any kind of actual photography light out in the shop makes me really nervous so prior to coming out to california i just had some stupid cheap amazon ones that just take cfl bulbs 
And I dropped those a few times, which made me never buy expensive lights for the shop because I knew I would do the same and break them and be really disappointed in myself. Um, so these are really cool. They've been really easy to kind of carry around. If you've got a shot that needs to kill a shadow, you can just like throw it up on another tool. It has a little tripod mount. Um, it's just really convenient. And so far, they are literally performing as uh, they're not quite as bright, obviously, per unit. Um, but, you know, they're great. Dollar per brightness, they're pretty good, though. The DP, DP, wait, dollar per, DPB. <laughs> yeah, they got a really high yield on that DPB. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys for uh, hanging out with us this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, I'm not even going to ask for a review. I promised I wouldn't, and that Three is weeks. not what I'm doing right now. <laughs> if you're not already, though, make sure you're following us on Instagram. We are at Modern Maker Podcast. That's where you can find the hashtag Rockler Plywood Challenge Wrap Up Post. Make sure you're following everyone that we're talking about, and make sure to scroll through that that hashtag in general. Um, today is the last day, so if you're posting, get that stuff in. If you're doing a YouTube video, get it in. We won't be filming the wrap-up episode until a couple days from now, um, but still. Uh, thank you guys again, and until next time, this has been the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. See ya. Bye. That was the weakest bye I've ever heard. It I was a little it. crackly. Yeah. And- it was Googling Meat Saber. Ha, 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 ha.